time is to encourage people who are in a state of turbulence and to equip those of us who aren't, but will be. And so, it will be an important study. It's going to be anchored in some of the most majestic passages in our Bibles. And so, it's going to be uh, stuff that you can live on for a long time. And uh, we're going to start two weeks from today. Now, the purpose of this is, number one, to let you know about it so that you're ready and you're here. But we also want you to use this card and the others that are scattered around the building to invite someone to come with you. Bring them with you. Bring someone that you know is in a state of turbulence. Or someone you just want to, uh, you want to you uh, do something good for them. People feel honored when you invite them to church. It's something that friends do. And so uh, that's what these are for. I encourage you to use those. Two weeks from today, we're going to start out strong. But today, I'm really uh, pleased to be able to uh, introduce our speaker. For many of you, he doesn't need an introduction, but for some of you, he does. Uh, Pastor Craig Pfeiffer. Uh, he, Craig and I first met a long time ago when he was about 14 years old. And uh, we met, and I won't tell all the stories that I could about Craig, but I will say that God called him to ministry, and I think the reason God called him to ministry is because Craig realized Craig realized that that was really the only way that he'd ever be able to talk during the sermon. So that's why he decided to become a pastor. And uh, he's going to talk during the sermon this morning, and it's going to be okay. Uh, it's fun. Craig, uh, God called Craig into ministry through a number of different circumstances and experiences. And as a church, we got to watch Craig grow up and his wife Diana and uh, begin to find God's good purposes for them. And it's been fun to watch that journey. So Craig ministered as one of Trinity's pastors, a pastor of student ministries, for about six years, and then God called him to Buena Vista, Colorado. And uh, I had the privilege of visiting Craig and Diana this summer when my family went on our car trip. We stopped and spent a couple nights with Craig and Diana, and it was great to see because clearly God, God's fingerprints are all over Craig and Diana being in Buena Vista, Colorado and pastoring there. I got to watch Craig pastor uh, the uh, the people in his church during that time, just walking around town. I got to watch him pastor people who aren't yet in his church, aren't yet believers, but he and Diana are pouring love out on these, these uh, people, and it's just beautiful to see. It's also fun to think that Trinity played a part in their trajectory. So I am really pleased to be able to introduce to you Pastor Craig. Thanks. Oh. <laughs> that is his. Yeah, uh, yeah so I've, we're, we're playing with some new technology here. This is Brad's iPad, and it's, it's easy to tell it's Brad's because there's cracks all over it. And I don't know if the Henderson's stuff, does it come that way to you guys from the store? <laughs> because that's the way it seems to work. Well, hey, I'm really glad to be here with you guys this morning. It's so fun to come back to Trinity, uh, church I grew up in, church I got into all kinds of trouble in, and it's just... It's a lot of fun to be here, and it was really great to have Brad and his family come out and visit us, and uh, just a blessing, what a blessing Brad is. Um, to me, we talk at least probably once, once a month, and I still feel like I'm learning every month from Brad, and it's really, really, really great. Uh, hey, so this morning, I was kind of thinking through 
Um, well, not this morning. That would be bad if I was thinking through what I was going to talk about this morning. Uh, but this week I've been thinking through, okay, what do we want to talk about? Uh, what can I come to Trinity and just um, uh, um, speak about and maybe do something helpful, maybe maybe play a part in what's going on there? And um, and so I've been thinking about that on our trip up here. Uh, it's a long drive. And so this um, year we had someone give us a pop-up camper. And um, if, if you give away a pop-up camper, think about what that would look like if you had an RV that you'd be willing to give to somebody. It's, it's that RV, right? So it's not the greatest thing in the world. And uh, so we're, we're pulling that. We're going to save a bunch of money because we're going we're gonna to camp our way here instead of staying in hotels and things like that. Um, on day two, um, check engine light comes on. And we're on the side of the road at the, or at the um, Utah-Idaho border. And the car is dead. And we wait, you know... Um, we wait three and a half hours for a wrecker, 15 minutes at a time. You, have you ever done this? Every time you call, 15 minutes, they'll be there 15 minutes. So we waited for three and a half hours or 15 minutes at a time. And the, the wrecker came and picked us up. And then we got to the next town, which was Hayburn, Idaho. How many people, you, do you love Hayburn, Idaho? You don't. There's nothing to love there. So that's where we are. And uh, we're sitting there, the, the car's in the shop. The next morning, he's going to tell us what we can do with it. And um, so that was, that was a slip. I didn't mean to say that. Anyways, next morning, he says, hey, you're stuck, man. It's, it, we, we, you broke a valve, and we got it for the next four or five days. And so then we rent a car and we just got out of the world of minivans. And the only thing that they had was a minivan. And um, so through this all, I was thinking, I said, I know exactly what I'm going to talk about uh, this Sunday. Um, yeah, Hayburn, Idaho. Here we go. No, actually, I, I started thinking about it before last week, and I thought back about to the, you know, six and a half, almost seven years we spent here uh, of, of being in a town with... Um, with uh, uh, both sets of family on both sides and, and, and being in a church where, where everywhere we looked there was family and, 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 and working with, with Chris and then working with Brad. So I decided what we'll talk about is, is uh, actually hell. Yeah. Oh, it was, no, I'm just kidding. It was great. It was great working here. Great working with Brad. Great being here with um, our family as I tell uh, everyone at Trinity. Uh, my family was no more annoying than the rest of you. They were equally annoying. So... But we are actually going to talk about hell today, right? I mean, not a popular subject, not something that you're like, you were hoping, right? Like, well, I hope he talks about hell today. That'd be awesome because we just don't hear enough about hell. But that's what we're going to talk about today. As, um, as, a, as a pastor, as um, a proclaimer of the gospel, I feel like we need to talk about every part that's in the Bible. I know Brad's serious about that. Brad does not skip around and skip over things. And so we're going to talk about hell today because honestly, as a pastor of a church, I would love for another pastor to come in and talk about this and then just leave uh, because it is just not a fun thing to talk about. So the I, when I think about hell, and I try not to think about it that often, there's, there's, really, there's really three questions that I think intellectually we just have to ask. I mean, we just have to go there, and we need to know these answers before we move forward. So we're just going to examine those two really quick, quick and then we're going to kind of drill down on the third question. And I think those, uh, those questions are these right here. Is it real? Right? Is, is, is there reality behind the idea 
of hell? Is, is, is it a real place? Is it an idea or is it just a scare tactic that's out there? The next thing is, is how could a loving God send people there, right? I mean, we were, we're the imago Dei. We're made in the image of God. We're image bearers of God. Could God really make something and then send it to hell? And last is, I think the, the really important question, if after we get through these two is, if, if it's true and if it really is a place and God really is willing to let people go there, who goes there? So let's talk about this. Let's drill down on this a little bit. First thing is, is it real? All right, I mean, is hell real? All over in the Bible, there's, there's talk of hell. There's, there's talk of a lake of fire. And there's different people that talk about it. But the person that talks most about it is not Paul and not Peter, not Moses and not the prophets. But the person who talks most about hell is Jesus. Jesus Christ talks more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. And if you're like me and you kind of grew up with that red letter Bible, right? And you're, you're kind of going through the pages and every time you see the red letters, you're like, that, those are the words of Jesus. And you stop and you kind of pay attention to those. You slow down on those and you really take them in. If you're like me, those are just weighty passages, now, of course, I know the whole Bible is inspired by God. I know it's true and it's inerrant and all that. But when I get to those red letters, I really slow down. I'm like, wow, this is God actually speaking. This is not God speaking through somebody. This is God speaking. So I really want to drill down on this. And so here's what Jesus says about hell. And this is not even all that he says. This is just a portion of what he says. He calls it eternal punishment, a blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell, where the fire never goes out. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. These are the words of Jesus. And when Jesus says something, it carries extra weight, because he's the only person who's ever predicted his own death burial, and resurrection, and actually pulled it off. I mean, when this guy says something, we have to know that it is true, that there's truth behind it. And this is not a campfire scary story. This is truth behind this, and we know that this is of God because it's God saying it himself. So if Jesus is honestly the Son of God, if he, if he is honestly one of the, part, the three parts of the Trinity, he is God himself, then there really is a hell. So that answers the first one. Really, there is a hell. It's not a great place. Don't go there. I mean, really, we could wrap it up right there, couldn't we? People are saying, yeah, let's just do that. It's a nice day out. We're not going to. We've got two more questions to answer. So if God, if Jesus is who he says he is, then there really is a hell. Let's take a look at the, the next question. The next question asks this question. How could a loving God send people there, right? If God is really, uh, if he is really personified by love, if he, if he is, if his main character, his core truth about him is love, how could God send his people there? Or how could God allow people go to hell? I mean, Jesus just described it. It's not a good place. How could he allow that and still be loving? And, and people have actually, pastors have tried to explain this away for years and years and years. 
They, they, try to, they try to remove hell and say, well, it's not, it's not really what Jesus said. And Jesus was talking about something else. And, and it's not really a place. And it's not, your, your friends and family are really not going to go there. And maybe, maybe, maybe if they go there, they're not going to stay there. They eventually, they'll, they'll, just, they'll just be annihilated. And there'll just be no remembrance of them anymore. And, and they've tried to make God more loving by taking hell out of the equation. But it doesn't work that way. Uh, you, you know that if you really love something, that, that there's also hate involved with that. You know if you really want to, to raise a, a kid or, or, or help someone along in the way, you have to lead them away from something that's bad from them. I've, when, um, when Sarah Johnson was going through her battle, uh, we, we were up to date and our whole church was praying for Sarah. But if you really, really love Sarah... You have to hate leukemia, didn't, didn't we all just hate leukemia when she was going through that? When she was fighting for her life, we hated that. And we know in our own lives, if you're a parent, you know this to be true. If in the, in the hopes of being more loving, you remove punishment, you remove judgment from your kids to, to hopefully show them more love and build a stronger relationship, you end up with neither love or relationship. Because they go off the deep end. So there is not love without hate. There's not, there's not upbringing. There's not caring without punishment. We, we know this to be true in our own lives. And honestly, it, without hell, then Jesus is kind of an idiot. Honest, I'm just talking straight up with you here. Jesus is kind of dumb. Because he comes to rescue us from hell, but there is no hell. And so he leaves perfection, he leaves his throne, he becomes an embryo, he becomes a baby, he goes through teenage life, he becomes an adult, he lives a perfect life, and he dies for nothing. He dies to rescue you from a thing that doesn't exist. Taking hell out of the equation, pretending that it's not there, does not make God more loving. It makes him less loving, and it also makes him an idiot. So if we're there, right, if hell's a real place and God really is willing to allow people to go there or he's really allowed or if he's really willing to send people there, then we have to know the answer to this next question. Who goes there? What what type of person goes to hell? Am I the type of person that will go to hell. If it's a real place and God's really willing to send people there, who goes there? So we're going to find out. There's a lot of places that talk about this. This is one, Matthew chapter 25. I'd love for you to grab your Bible, open it up. Um, even if you just read on the screen, open your Bible, put a bookmark there. If you've got a phone that you use or an iPad to read your Bible, I will not think you're playing Angry Birds or Pokemon Go. Can we stop and just pray for all the people who play Pokemon Go that... That's what you got to do. You got to pack this place with some Pokemons. People and people show up. I'm going to do that. All right. So here we go. Chapter 25. This is in Jesus' life. It's in the last week of his life. He is, um, this is kind of the passion week. So Jesus is really packing in the teaching, packing in the instruction. And in chapter 25, we see some of our favorite parables and our favorite teaching. And he is just, he is just letting it out there, letting it go. He says, I got a couple days left. I'm going to get some teaching done. And Matthew is there and he's just writing as fast as he can. He's getting it all down. And then we get to this part that is uh, where he's on the side of Mount Olives. This is called the Olivet Discourse. Now, 
I, just so you don't feel stupid like some people, this is the olive, like olives you eat, olive et discourse. It's not the all of it discourse, which some idiot um, thought, admit, like, hey, this is all of it. I'm just letting you have it right here. No, not all of it, all of it. It is the all of it. So there's a little bit of trivia for you. Anyways, Jesus is talking. He's using a lot of metaphors. He's using a lot of stories. He is, he is communicating and teaching. And then the tone kind of changes in the way that he teaches when he gets to verse 31. He's been saying the kingdom is like this and the son of man is like this. And he's using metaphors and illustrations and all these great things, great teaching tools. But now he changes his tone and he is going to speak prophetically. He's going to tell you this is what's going to happen. This is not an illustration. This is not a metaphor. This is not a simile. This is what's going to happen. And maybe you've had a conversation with uh, one of your kids, or maybe you've had a conversation uh, like you're a manager and this is one of your employees. And you've been, you've been giving them instructions on how to do better and how to get their act together. And finally, you get to the point and you say, hey, here's the deal. If your numbers aren't up by Wednesday, you're going home. You're not working here anymore. Or you say to your kid, hey, if your bedroom is not clean When I put you to bed tonight, I'm taking all of your toys away. That's one we use all the time. We just take them all. Uh, We're horrible parents. Um, So we're we're done with the teaching. We're done with the metaphors. And we are like, all right, here is where the rubber meets the road. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. All right? So are you with me? Here we go. If you have one of the um, Bibles in, um, in the chairs in front of you, it's on page 702. So here we go. Let's go get into it. Who goes to hell? Oh, yeah, I need to do that, don't I? Okay, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. So remember, so this is Jesus talking outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives to a bunch of Jews. And everyone that's sitting around him, everyone listening to him is still thinking, I don't exactly know who this guy is. Right? I know he's, he's, he's kind of a miracle worker. He's doing some amazing things. He healed my grandmama. I don't know how he did that, but he's kind of an amazing guy. He's a great teacher. I don't know who he is, but he, he's starting to say some crazy stuff like he is God and he is the son of man, which means the Messiah. He's starting to say these things, but I'm still weighing my options on who I really think this guy is. And so now Jesus, prophetically speaking, he's done with the metaphors. He says, here's what's going to happen when the Son of Man, not if, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. What he is saying is there's going to be a day when everyone's going to be done wondering who I am, right? There's a day when it's going to be obvious and clear to everyone who Jesus of Nazareth is. I am God. I am the Messiah. That day is coming and no one like you will be sitting around thinking, I wonder who this guy is. They will know who he is. The nations will be gathered before him. So we have all these Jews listening to Jesus talk, mostly Jews, maybe some Gentiles, but but mostly Jews. And, And they kind of get excited at this point. They're like, all right, Here's, here's, when, here's when we're going to find out. Here's when we finally get payback. As a Jew, our life has been hard for the last 500 years. It's just been really, really terrible. And so this is when he's going to gather all the nations together and he's going to say, 
to everyone who's not a Jew. And then like, here are my special people. And so they're excited about this. Probably they're ready to hear more. And he says he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will put sheep on his right and goats on his left. And this is where probably the Jews were a little bit disappointed. And the terminology that he was using was, was sheeps and, sheep and goats and not Jew and Gentile. They were really hoping that he would separate Jew and Gentile and then the Jews would be his favored ones and they would be the special ones. But he doesn't. He says sheep and goats. One will be on his right and one will be on his left. Then the king will say, To those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now the key word here is inheritance. And you have to remember this word when you read the rest of it. Later on this week, when you read this again, I want you to read this again. But when you read this again, remember this word, inheritance. Because he is talking about what has what has allowed them to be in God's kingdom, the one that he created for them before the beginning of the world. And it is an inheritance. And as we read on, you're going to be tempted to think, no, this is wages of work. This is what I earn by doing work. But no, it's an an inheritance. And in that inheritance, they come to you because of a relationship that you have with someone else, right? Right? Like, like in my family, um, um, I will receive inheritance when my parents die. I will get all of their bills, and it's going to be awesome. Um, no, they won't be awesome. I mean, they'll be dead, and that would be really sad. So, but they're never going to die. They're my parents. Anyways, you receive an inheritance not because of what you've done or, or the investments you've made. You receive an inheritance because of a relationship that you have with someone. And this is what Jesus is making clear. It's not about what you've done it's, an about, it's about a relationship that you have with God and now you receive an inheritance. And this is different from every other religion or world thought out there. You see, every other religion and every other world thought says, I need to build a resume, build a report, and I need to, I need to put all these good things that I've done on my resume. All the wonderful things, you know, I gave to the Blue Ridge um, clothes drive. I I volunteered in children's church. I volunteered in the nursery. I I went to church every Sunday that I didn't have something better going on that Sunday. I did all these things. And now I've got this report and I've got this resume. And when the time comes, when this time comes, when the son of man sits on his throne, I will walk up to that throne and I will say, here is my resume. Now. Look how awesome I did. What do I get? Do I get the kingdom? Pretty much, look at my resume. Now you owe me. You owe me an eternal life. You owe me a happiness. You owe me the heaven I've always dreamed of. Look at my resume. You owe me. And this is what every religion and every worldview says. But God says, no, that's not the case. This is not a payment, and I don't owe you anything. Unless you forgot, I am the king. I am the creator of the universe, and not you. I don't owe you anything. Actually, you owe me. The inheritance is an important piece, and if you lose this, you will lose 
what Jesus is saying as we go on. So it's an inheritance. It's not, it's not a payment. God doesn't owe us anything. For I was hungry. So now, so he kind of sees the look on people's faces like, wow, I get to, I get to go and be in this kingdom with you. This is awesome. So he's going to kind of explain it to him. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I, I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came and visited me. Doesn't this sound like tit for tat, right? You did all these good things for me. Now I'm going to do some good stuff for you. But remember, it's an inheritance. And the people, they respond, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or need to close and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Keyword here is the righteous. How are they made righteous? They are made righteous by their inheritance because of the relationship they have with God. They have a righteousness that doesn't come from them, doesn't come from their good works. They have a righteousness that comes from God through Jesus Christ. You see, the righteous, they stop saying, look at all the good things I've done, God, now you owe me. No, the righteous put themselves in debt to God and say, I owe God. They put themselves in debt by saying, God, please take Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and apply it to my life. Apply it to my sin account. Pay off my debt and I will put myself in debt to you. And that debt, it sounds kind of scary. Like, I don't want to be in debt to God. What's he going to do? You simply are just giving your life to God. You give your life to God and the debt that you owe him is praise and glory on this life and the life to come. So God, you don't say, God, you owe me, but I owe you. And it's just a posture change. And that's what makes people righteous. The other side of who goes to hell is who goes to heaven. Well, it's the righteous people that go to heaven. And how do we receive righteousness? How are we seen as righteous? We are seen as righteous through Jesus Christ. Christ, by putting ourselves in debt to him, by accepting his payment for our sins. So now at this point, these people know they're going to heaven. Then the king, Jesus, will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these um, brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me, because they're saying, I don't remember doing that for you, Jesus. I don't remember seeing you sick and taking care of you. But whatever you did for them, you've done for me. So now those are the people. Those are the people on his right. Now he pivots and turns to his left. And there's one thing we have to remember here. This is not a parable. This is not a story. This is a foretelling of coming events. That this will happen. If Jesus is the Jesus that we think and believe he is, then this will happen. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. A little bit of truth here. Heaven was never prepared for image bearers of God. It was made for the devil and his angels. Though people allow themselves to go there. But in this moment, 
in this real moment that is really going to happen. This is not a story. This is the creator of the universe telling us what's going to happen in the near future. In this moment, can you imagine the panic, the despair, the utter hopelessness, the confusion, the horror, and the terror of the people on his left? Screaming, saying, whoa, no, this can't be. This cannot be. There's a mistake. He said some of those things. I did some of those things. There's a mistake here. I'm on the wrong side. Utter horror. To know that the next moments and every moment after that will be separated from God in a place called hell. And to know that our friends our family, our co-workers, our neighbors, and people we don't even know will be on that side, screaming, no, no, this cannot be. I'm a good person. If that doesn't break your heart, if that doesn't send you out of here telling everyone you meet about the truth of Jesus Christ, there's something wrong with your heart. You got to get that checked. It breaks my heart to know some of my friends who are good people. That's their destiny. And so in this moment, people are panicking and people are screaming and God sees it and he says, before you go, let me just explain to you why you're going there. Why you chose that over choosing me. Why you chose hell over heaven. Let me just explain this to you. And I I don't have control anymore. Could you go to my next slide? For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and I was in prison and you didn't look after me. And you got to know people are hearing that who've done all of these things, amazing kind things, have gone on their way, have gone to other countries, have drilled wells, have, have, have donated clothes, have visited in prison, have done all of these things. And they're thinking, Jesus... I swear I did this stuff. I I guess I didn't do it to the right people. I didn't see you. I don't know what happened here, but I know I did this stuff. God, you made a mistake. I should be on the other side. And and you'll see them say that right here. Next slide, please. They, They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and needing clothes or sick and in prison and did not help you? I mean, I did this stuff. I really did. I lived to be a good person. And Jesus replies to them. He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. What Jesus is saying here is, Sure, you may have done those things, but you did not do them for me or to me. You did them for you. You did them to build up that resume. You were working on a resume. You were working on a list. And you thought you could come to me with your list and your resume and make me owe you and make you God and me something lesser than you. And that's not the way I work. I'm the creator of the universe. And I don't owe you anything. You did that for you. 
You never did that for me. And there are people all around this world and they are in churches just like this and they are here in this church today who have been building a resume to bring to God and say, look at all the good things I did for you. And he said, you didn't do that for me and you didn't do that for them. You did that for you. And I'm the God of the universe and you are not, so I don't owe you anything. That's who goes to hell. Self-righteous people. People who try to build their righteousness for themselves go to hell. Instead of simply accepting the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the free gift that he gives to every single person, they build a case for themselves and they become self-righteous. And Jesus tells them, depart from me. I'm God, you're not. Tim Keller Um, who's like the smartest person ever. He makes Brad look dumb. That's how smart this guy is. He says this about hell. I think it's this uh, next slide here. In some ways, the fairest, fairest understanding of the afterlife is a Christian one, which says God gives you what you want. If you want to live with God forever, it's heaven and you get it. And if you want to be your own person, you want to be your own savior and your own Lord, that's hell. And you get that. And you stay wanting it. You don't suddenly change your mind. If you want to be your own savior, God would say, fine. Fine, I I offered salvation. I offered it freely. But if you want to be your own savior and your own God, God will give you that. And that's hell. And you stay wanting that. So for us today, really... What are, what are the implications of this? Right, what, are, what are the implications of a biblical hell? If everything we read today, which by the way is straight from the mouth of Jesus, if everything we read today is true, what are the implications for you and me? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have put your faith in God's salvation, not your own salvation, your own building your resume, putting together a report, if you've done that, then this should be a heavy weight and a burden. You should be thinking of somebody right now who you know needs to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. You should be thinking of them. They're in your head right now, aren't they? That person is building a case for themselves. They are trying to get to a place where they could say to God, God, you owe me. And we know how God answers that. They need the love of Jesus Christ. They need you to love them so much that you will open your mouth and speak truth into their lives. They need you to love them so much that you will stop and pray for them out loud. Not just say, I'm going to pray for you, but actually pray for them. They, you need to love them so much that you are going to invite them to this next sermon series, Turbulence, where they could hear some truth and they could come to know and understand and realize that Jesus is their Savior, not themselves. That's what you need to do. But there's people here today who the implications of this is, I need to stop making a resume. I need to stop trying to build a report to show to God, hey, 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 God, look how good I am and look how good I've done. And so now, God, you owe me a right relationship with you. You owe me an eternal life. And God, 
you know is looking at you right now and saying, that doesn't cut it. I don't owe you anything, but I have something for you instead. A relationship with you based on the love, life, death, and resurrection of my son, Jesus Christ. And if you would put your life in his hands, if you would owe me everything, you will get everything in return. If you'll lay down that resume and actually start doing things for me and not yourself, that is where salvation lies. And I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will not owe you anything, but I will give you everything. Some people here today need to change their posture towards God. From God, you owe me, to God, because of Jesus Christ, I owe you. That happens quite simply by saying, I'm sorry, please, and thank you. I'm I'm sorry for the sin in my life. I'm sorry that I've tried to build a resume. God, I'm, I, uh, please, please apply Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to me. Apply that to my account. Put me in debt to you. And thank you. Thank you. I'm going to live the rest of my life saying thank you every chance I get. And when I say thank you, when I do good for other people, it's not for myself or for my resume, but God, it's for you. I want to change my posture today. You could do that today. As a matter of fact, if you want to do that today, let's do that. Let's just, let's just pray that together. I'll just kind of pray it out loud. If you want to pray that with me and change your posture today, let's just do that together. God, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I screw up. And I know that even worse than that, God, as I've tried to become my own savior and make things right, I am sorry. Please forgive me. God, please apply Jesus' death on the cross the way that he died for all sins. Please apply that to my account and wipe away my sins and make me righteous because of him, not because of me. And God, thank you. I will live my life every day saying thank you. God, I'm not going to be perfect. I know it. I wish I could, but I know, I know I will say thank you with my life and I'm indebted to you and I give you my entire life. Amen. Hey, let's, let's do this real quick. If, if today, for the very first time, you kind of, this kind of clicked with you, and, and if you've been thinking, hey, this is my, I've had the wrong posture, I've had an I, uh, God owes me, I've changed my posture today to I owe God, I put my full faith in him, I'm, I'm done building a resume, I'm willing to take God's resume, apply it to my life. If you did that today, would you just stand up? Everyone's going to see you. Would you stand up? Because we want to celebrate that. If that's something you did today, if no one stands up, that's fine. We'll just celebrate the idea that everyone here has already made that decision. Awesome. We will celebrate that everyone has made that decision and no one will be on the other side. If you have made that decision and by not standing up today, you're saying, that's me, I did that. You have some responsibilities this week, don't you? You have some good news to share with your friends and neighbors and coworkers. You have an opportunity to point people out of the herd of goats and toward the herd of sheep. I pray that you will have courage to do that. Eternity hangs in the balance. Hey, we're not, we're not selling vacation packages here, people. We are selling salvation from hell itself. And that is an awesome task. And that's a great thing to be part of. It's the most important thing you could do with your entire life. 
I want to pray for you, and then we'll have Thad come on up here and close us out. God, thank you so much for your word that, that really it makes it super clear. It doesn't, doesn't leave any real gray areas for us when it comes to this idea. God, that, that it's, uh, it's so clear what we need to do, God, that we are not building a resume for ourselves, God, but that we get to take on your resume and that we get to claim it as our own. We get to take your righteousness and claim it as our own. God, would you help us live out the thank you part of that? The thank you part of living every day for you. And God, even more, this takes so much courage and so much strength. God, would you help us reach out to our friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers with the good news of this, that God, we don't have to build a resume. That God, that we can never come to the God of the universe and say, you owe me. But we can humbly and willfully say, God, I owe you and I want to give my life to you. And the result of that is a relationship that starts now and goes on forever with the creator of the universe. God, thank you so much for the truth in your word. We love you and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Did you guys enjoy hearing from Pastor Craig today? Yeah. Anybody that can make fun of uh, Pastor Brad and Pastor Chris publicly is okay in my book. Yeah. He actually needs that because he's, you know, not receiving a paycheck. Anybody who makes fun of them isn't going to get paid for very long. So, anyway. Hey, uh, we're going to